rest of you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter number 6 in our Bibles this morning. It was uh, January 1st of 2018 that early in the morning, Jonathan, um, Priscilla, and I loaded up our van and we first drove to the south side of Chicago, where we stopped for a morning service. Actually, one of our former teens is married uh, to a church planning pastor, and we got to be in their service. And then we drove throughout the afternoon and got to a church in Louisville, Kentucky, that we were aware of through uh, Bible quizzing, and we got into their evening service. And then we made... Uh, the rest of the trip here to Easley late on that Sunday evening on the 1st, and we checked into a motel, anticipating that our kids would have their first day at Easley Christian School on Monday morning. Instead, we learned that people around here thought that 25 degrees was too cold to go to school, <laughs> and all of a sudden we knew we were not in Wisconsin anymore. And schools canceled that first day. Well, uh, the next Sunday uh, was January 8th, four years ago, yesterday. And that was my first Sunday to preach here as the pastor at Faith Baptist Church. And that Sunday, I turned uh, to this text that is before us. We've actually turned here another time since I was the pastor. And it was actually in the fall of 2020, and I don't know what you think of with 2020, but that was COVID year number one, <laughs> right? We missed about eight weeks of gathering together, but in addition to that, uh, even when we came back, we had not partaken of the Lord's table together for many months out of concern, COVID concerns, and when we uh, did that, again, I had us turn to this passage. And I've been giving uh, attention to several burdens for preaching in the new year. And I'm going to communicate more of that as we move forward. But in wrestling with all of that, I just kept having a check in my spirit um, to make sure that um, other themes would not replace what should stay central. Um, last week... We sang together that wonderful hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood Drawn from Emmanuel's Veins. And in the third verse, the songwriter penned these words, Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be, shall be my theme is the idea, right? Redeeming love has been my theme and redeeming love shall be till I die. And all week long as those thinking and preparing, uh, working in texts and praying, and I kept, uh, as I'm thinking about these themes and what's the rightful place at the right time, I did keep coming back to this fact that the redeeming work of Christ must stay central in our minds, and it must stay a central theme in our church. And I've had us turn to this text this morning because the Bible's testimony about redemption actually starts with a, a monumental crossroads in the lives of the children of Israel. And by this time in history, the history of the book of Exodus, 
The Jews had been in Egypt for about 400 years. Um, Joseph had been sent by slavery, uh, in slavery by his brothers, uh, but then uh, his brothers and their dad would come down into Egypt, Jacob and Joseph's brothers, at, at Joseph's invitation uh, because he was then second in command to Pharaoh. They had experienced, as you know, a great deal of prosperity and blessing, even though they were foreigners. But as this book of Exodus opens, it says a new king rose up who knew not Joseph and his people. And that king was determined to subjugate them to hard bondage. And he really inflicted great, um, a great affliction on them. And God called Moses to go back into Egypt and lead his people out of their increasingly difficult circumstances. And he appointed uh, for Moses Aaron to be his spokesman. But after they went in to Pharaoh and announced God's demand to let his people go, the persecution only intensified. And the result of that was the people were upset with Moses, and Moses was upset with God. And in the two verses that are going to serve as our text this morning, we read a portion of God's response to Moses. The people complained to Moses. Moses turned and complained to God. And this is part of God's response to Moses. If you'll notice in verse 6, we'll read verses 6 and 7. God says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, that I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And as I've already noted, the, the particular significance we want to explore from this text is the connection between this whole exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt and the doctrine of redemption. Right at the end of verse number 6, if you just look there again, God says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. And redemption will go on in the scripture to be one of the most prominent terms used to describe God's saving work in man's life. And every bit, I don't think it's a stretch to say that every bit of the color of that and, and even the substance of that term is rooted in the event of the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And there are at least four key facts regarding redemption that are illustrated, at least, in, in the Exodus, that the Bible goes on to confirm are true of all genuine salvation. So we want to explore those this, together this morning, and we'll just start very simply with this statement that redemption's definition is deliverance. Redemption's definition is deliverance. The Hebrew word that is translated redeem here in verse 6. In its most basic usage, it has to do with the deliverance of individuals or even property that had been sold on account of debt, indebtedness. 
When we go into the New Testament, the Greek words translated redeem in the New Testament have the same idea of paying a ransom or even the purchasing of a slave with a view to securing uh, his freedom. And what we see right here in verse 6 is that those definitions fit the context and the way it's used. Right here in verse 6, the mention of redemption is preceded by talking about God bringing his people out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and then even ridding them out of their bondage and redeeming them. This is the concept, delivering from slavery, delivering from burdens and bondage. You can even go back up to chapter 5 and verse 23, the last verse of chapter 5. And, and that's back in that scene when the Egyptians are beating the Israelite leaders. The leader's not happy with Moses. And again, I've, I've said all that already. But notice in verse 23, when Moses prayed to God, he said, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil. Pharaoh has done evil to this people. Neither hast thou done what? Yeah, you can see that word. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. But I would have you go forward to chapter 18 and just see kind of bookend statements. When, when the exodus was complete and Moses is giving testimony to his father-in-law who was not an Israelite about what God had done, he even used this expression. Look at chapter 18 and verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord did what? Yeah, you see it. How the Lord delivered them. All right. The Jews were in bondage. Brethren, the Bible's record is that everyone that is born into this world is born in a state of bondage. The Jews were in bondage to Egypt, a foreign power, as it were. But everyone that is born into this world is born in a state of bondage to sin and even to Satan. A couple of years ago, I saw a bumper sticker I'd heard other people talk about these, but I saw one for myself on a car right in front of me. And the bumper sticker actually said, I was born right the first time. Obviously mocking. I don't know if the person who put that, that sticker on their bumper knew that it was Jesus who said it. Jesus said, you must be what? You must be born again. They're just mocking that. I was born right the first time. Don't tell me I need to be born again. But friends, nobody is born right. Nobody is born righteous. Use the scriptural word. Romans 3 and verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are actually born in darkness of the slavery to this world. That's why in Colossians chapter 1, Paul's writing and he declares that God must deliver us from the power of darkness and translate us into the kingdom of his dear son. And from the time of the Exodus on, Egypt in the scripture is very often a symbol of the world. And one commentator about this connection just said this. He said, the witness of the Exodus is that no people of God can spring into existence without being cut loose from a world opposed to God. 
That's what redemption is. It is a cutting loose of the reins and the rule of a world that is opposed to God. It is appropriate to ask everyone here this morning, have you been delivered from the domination of this organized world system that is planned and energized by the devil himself? But the reality is that in order to be delivered from this world, do you know that we also have to be delivered from ourselves? Israel, as as a corporate body, was delivered from the burdens and bondage of slavery in Egypt. But individual Israelites still needed to be delivered from their own spiritual corruption, their own sin. Then, as you know, the the rest of the history, I mean, the next major era in, in the history of these people is the wilderness wandering. And the wilderness wandering is marked by repeated episodes of unbelief and unfaithfulness. I mean, you start with the worship of the golden calf and, and on and on it goes. And, and all of that record of that era in their lives is, is an indication that even though as a nation they got out of that foreign power and bondage, they were personally in a very corrupt state when they left Egypt. It's interesting, you can, you can skip all the way forward, and I think you'll, you'll know this reference, Joshua, you don't even need to turn there, but Joshua 24 and verse 14, it'll be familiar. He said, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. But now listen to the rest of what he says. He says, and put away the gods, plural, which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. They weren't just in bondage to Egyptian power. They were in bondage to the corruption of the idolatry of their own hearts. Several of the prophets referred to the sin of the people um, in Egypt, and Ezekiel actually refers to them in Egypt as a time of harlotry. I keep saying it, but they didn't just need deliverance from bondage that was outside of them. They needed deliverance from the corruption that was inside of them in their sin nature. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, I've already said it. There is none righteous, no, not one. Man cannot achieve a right standing with God on his own. But verse 11 goes right in to say, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Man left to his own does not even want to come to the God of the Bible. Left himself. He may seek a God, but... But it's a God of his own making to fill a vacuum in his life. He does not seek after the God of the Bible. Do you know that even an unsaved person can't say, the devil made me do it? The devil will attempt to orchestrate the world to be enticing, but men sin because they want to. Now that's, that's what Jesus said. 
John chapter 3 and verse 19, Jesus said, This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So every man needs deliverance, not just from the domination of this world, but every man needs deliverance from the corruption of our own sinful flesh. And I do, again, want to ask us all this morning, have you been delivered from the dominion of your own corrupt, sinful nature? And, and I'm not asking, have you tried to reform yourself? Live a decent life. Maybe even decent in terms of how the Bible would describe it. And you, you see lived out in your family. And you see lived out in, you know, in a broader church culture. Not just that you kind of tried to live something, but I'm asking, have you experienced an obvious supernatural deliverance? Really, has God granted you deliverance even from the control of the appetites of my own immediate lust? Has God granted you deliverance from willful pride and rebellion? Redemption, by its very definition, is deliverance and it's deliverance from what's outside and it's deliverance from what's inside as well and the bondage to sin in this world but i want us to notice secondly back in uh, chapter six if you need to turn back there that redemption's method so definition is deliverance redemption's method is a display of divine omnipotence. You, you could just say more uh, straightforwardly, perhaps, God's unlimited power, if that's helpful. But, but if even worded it that way, divine omnipotence, because look again, right back in, in verse number six, wherefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and even just notice this, I will bring you out and then in the next race i will rid you out of their bondage and then i will redeem you even with this extra explanation with a stretched out arm it's whose arm that is stretched out to do the redeeming it's god himself and, and if you know something of the drama that ensues, I think you do. I, I, I just would remind us that God used a series of terrifying plagues to get the Jews up and on the move in an effort to flee from Egypt. But then the route that he led them to take ended up putting them in a position of being seemingly trapped on the banks of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army pursuing. We would say today they were like sitting ducks. Lifelong bondage at a minimum and perhaps imminent death was at stake. And they had nowhere to turn. Run into the sea or run back to the Egyptian army Neither of those are going to work. 
unless God does something that only God can do. And they have nowhere to turn but to the supernatural, miracle-working power of God. If God doesn't part the Red Sea, think of that. If God doesn't part the Red Sea and take them through on dry ground and bring that wall of water down on their enemies, they are done. But you know the story, and that's exactly what God did. And that method of deliverance, that whole route, why did God take them that way and bring them to that crisis? All of this chain of events was not incidental. It was all very intentional. This method of God's delivering them was intentional so that God and God's power alone might be celebrated. And it's there for all of us to continue to make the connection for all time, as the New Testament does. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We could keep going, but it's not of you or of any man. It's a gift of God. It's just God displaying His power and His mercy and granting a deliverance that no work of man could ever grant on its own. And so you, you don't find, we just combine these concepts, you'll never find deliverance in human reform and human work. You don't find deliverance in baptism. My pastor in Colorado growing up used to say repeatedly, repeatedly he would say, you could be baptized so many times every tadpole in the creek knows your social security number and it won't wash away one ounce of your sin and make you right with God. Not church attendance, not financial support of charities, not taking part in communion or any other sacrament, but you find deliverance in the power of God alone. And any partial dependence on any of those things is no dependence on the power of God. Redemption's definition is deliverance, and redemption's method is a display of God's power, divine omnipotence. But then notice thirdly here, that redemption's purpose is, is stated to be twofold. And I've, I've given it this. Its purpose is consecration and communion. But look at the phrases that are here. In verse number 7, God says, I will take you to me for a people. God's saying, I'm going to deliver you to make you as a people uniquely mine. I'm not going to have you turn now, but again, I, I think this reference will be familiar to you. Leviticus 20 and verse 26 says, be ye holy. And we've talked about that a little bit. Set apart from common, consecrated to what's special. Okay, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now listen to this. And have severed you from other people that you should be mine. <clears throat> when God delivers a person, 
when God delivered the nation of Israel from the foreign bondage in Egypt. He's like severing them off and, and all the rest of what he gave them in his law, his work in, in, in their lives as a nation. All of that was to cut them off from all the other nations so that they could be uniquely his. And brethren, when God delivers any man, woman, or child from the bondage of this world and the bondage of their own sin, he does not set them free to just do whatever they please. He sets them free to do as he pleases. He sets them free to be specially devoted to him. He's doing the work even to consecrate them to himself. But then look at the very next phrase in verse 7. He says, I will take you to me for a people, and look at this, and I will be to you a God. I'm not just taking you to me. I'm obligating myself to a special relationship to you. <clears throat> he says the same thing to New Testament believers. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, he says, come out from among them and be separate. We know that, right? Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Now listen to the rest of it. And I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Brethren, when God, as it were, demands your consecration, he isn't trying to keep you from anything. Anything except sin and its burdens. Listen, when God demands his people's consecration, he's wanting to give you something. He's wanting to give you additional measures of the blessedness of communion with him. He calls for consecration with a heart of wanting communion. That's the purpose. I'm setting you apart to be for me a people, but I'm obligating myself that I will be to you a God. It is, it's at least strange and, and suspect for a man to want deliverance at some level from their sin. And have no time for a relationship with the deliverer. And in fact, the scripture emphasizes again and again that redemption is found in a relationship with the Redeemer. But as many as have received him, right? That's, that's some of the terminology. It's taking him. Redemption is not found in just, you know, a profession that's motivated by, I got to get my ticket out of hell, not have to worry about that anymore, improve my standard of living at some level, and connections, and all that kind of stuff. Redemption's purpose 
is consecration and communion. And then I want us to see a fourth, and, and we're going to move forward a little bit, but not far. It's the same drama, if you will, in the record. Go to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Redemption's definition is deliverance. Method is a display of divine omnipotence. Purpose is consecration and communion. And now we actually want to look at redemption's price. And redemption's price is the death of a sacrifice. And I've had to skip forward to chapter 12, where we find this account of the first Jewish Passover. And I'm really just going to have us read, beginning in verse 21, down through verse 27. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover, and ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. We'll stop our reading there. But the witness of the Passover and of the rest of the book of Exodus with the description of the tabernacle in those days, the holy place and the holy of holies and the, and the sacrificial system. The witness of all of that is that even the omnipotent God does not display his gracious power in delivering men from sin apart from the death and shed blood of a sacrifice. Even the omnipotent God does not display his gracious power in delivering from sin apart from the death and shed blood of a sacrifice. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the price for man's sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Acts 20 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul refers to the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And the classic for good reason text is 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but, I'll add it in, but you were redeemed 
with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Brethren, there are times it's important for us to be reminded that the debt of my sin and your sin was not just simply canceled, but the debt of that sin was paid in full through the life and the death and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Redemption's price is the death of a sacrifice, that sacrifice being Christ. I want to have us turn to Psalm 106, all of us to Psalm 106. And I think that are just seeing these truths and making the connections that are found throughout the scripture to our salvation is enough argument by itself for why we have to keep this theme central. But there's an argument that the psalmist makes right here in Psalm 106. There's actually several psalms that we could go to. But I'm going to have us go back to um, verse 9. We could go further back to catch the run-up, but verse 9 to help us see the context. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them. And even look at our term again. As I said, it just keeps going back here. He did what? He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words. They sang his praise. But look at this in verse 13. They soon forgot. They soon forgot his works. I'm going to give for the sake of the sermon one last point. We have redemption's definition is deliverance. Redemption's method, a display of divine omnipotence. Redemption's purpose, consecration and communion. Redemption's price, the death of a sacrifice. I may give a fifth statement for our sermon, and that is redemption's danger. And redemption's danger is forgetfulness. He redeemed them, and they believed, and they sang his praises, but they soon forgot. And what happened after they forgot? Well, you can see continuing on in verse 13. They waited not for his counsel. They, they, they moved ahead, their own thinking, their own will. They didn't take his direction. Verse 14, they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And, and that's a reference to their complaining, their lack of content contentedness with the provisions they had you see those contexts back in numbers it's they're complaining we we had this back there and we had this back there and here all we had was this manna and 
verse 16, they envied Moses also in the camp. And Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. That's all talking about they rebelled against their God-given authority. And not only that, in verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed the glory, their glory, into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. And that's just open idolatry. And we even have this statement again. Look at verse 21. They forgot God, their what? Their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. If we use the, the word and the theme, and it's right here in the text, so we're not doing anything uh, you know, out, of, out of hand, they forgot God, their Redeemer. They forgot and I did skip over verse number 15. It's interesting in this statement about in their discontent and their complaining that God gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. And I think that likely had initial reference to even the ones that got sick. I mean, God gave them quail till it's coming out their nose and ears. And I mean, it's just, and some of them got sick on that. But I, I don't think in the flow that we're, that we're doing anything damaging to even just talk about the leanness of our souls. And brethren, it's possible that there, there's leanness in some of our lives, our inner man, our whole Christian experience, that there's leanness on account of the fact that we have forgotten. Think about this. Forgotten what we were delivered from. It's good for us to be reminded what we've been delivered from. It's good for us to be reminded that the deliverance was not achieved in our own strength. But God did all the delivering. And that God did it so that we might know him. And that God did it at the cost of the life and even the blood. The violent death, bloody death of his own dear son. If there's, if there's leanness where there could be substance, you know, there's shallowness in our life where there could be depth, and you, you just walk back through these, there's self-will, or there should be just waiting and looking to God for his will. If there's, if there's rebellion against God-ordained authority, where there should be submission, if there's idolatry, where, the, where there should be worship of God alone. Where any of those things are present. Someone is activating, is acting with a mind that is not saturated with the truths of redemption. 
And brother and I, my prayer, I believe it's shared by all of you, is that God would continue to allow us to experience Lord days, Lord's days like this, throughout this year and beyond, if he tarries, where remembering God's deliverance is a centerpiece of our worship, and where that kind of memory of that kind of deliverance is the single greatest motivation for a life of love and service to him. Let us not forget what he's delivered us from, what he's delivered us to, and the price of that deliverance. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And We have some opportunity right in this psalm and the themes that it brought up to even consider, is there, is there evidence in some of these particulars that I've experienced the danger, the vulnerability of, of all that's involved in forgetting? Maybe somebody here this morning would just say, Pastor Fuller, I've, I've never known that supernatural deliverance, the reality of that redeeming work. There, there may be somebody that's young, somebody that's older, somebody who just keeps trying to live an acceptable Christian life for all kinds of maybe even good reasons, maybe some bad reasons, but been trying to live it. But you recognize what I need is deliverance. Whatever that need is, would you take some time with the Lord and even to thank him what he's delivered you from?